welcome you on the stream. We're seeing a little scripture this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Would you stand and worship Him with all your strength this morning? Let's do it. It's all it says. It's a good word.
to somebody as you're sitting down. I know we haven't done that in a while, but I was told we're going to do that today, so let's do it. <laughs> Say hi to somebody and then go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, <laughs> when I moved the drums, I love this. I couldn't get to my, I'm going to steal one of these. And while they're doing that, if you're at home, I want to say hello to you. I'm glad that you're here with us today. They're going to sit down in just a second, and then we're going to get going. And I'm really grateful that we get to do life together. Uh, So anyway, welcome, and let's go ahead and get started. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. Don't say very much hi. (laughs) Now I remember why we we stopped doing that. All y'all are just wanting to talk the whole time, which is my job. Just kidding. I know, seriously, I should just go sit down now. Hey... Uh, So we, from time to time, get to see family uh, that God has kind of said, hey, come with me. Would you follow me out of your comfort zone? And they come back. And two of those family members that God has asked to step out of Lighthouse so they can go follow him in doing what he's laid on their heart are Dawn and Jill Shannon. They are some of our missionaries down in Costa Rica, down in Uvita. And I want to invite Dawn and Jill to come up and share what God has been up to, how he's been moving down in Uvita and using them. So why don't you guys come on up? There you are. Hi, everyone. It's so good to be here. This, you guys are like our family. Do you guys know what a special church that you have here? I hope you do because, yes, it is. And um, so anyway, we're just going to real quickly tell you what we've been, what we've been doing. Um, so we have been down in Uvita, Costa Rica, um, and you can go ahead and change the slide. And it's in Central America. Um, a lot of people think it's in Puerto Rico, uh, but no, um, it's not an island. We're close to Panama on the Pacific side. Okay, next slide. And um, anyone who's been to Costa Rica, there's, we've taken three mission teams down there, so there's some of you that have, like Charlene and Todd, that have been on our mission teams, and it's a, almost, it's a beautiful country. You can fall in love with the nature. It's amazing, but next slide. Um, there's a lot of poverty, a lot of broken families. Um, it seems very unusual when you meet a mom and dad with kids. It's almost all women that are raising four kids by themselves, and who knows where the men are. Um, And there's a lot of sex trafficking and a lot of molestation and abuse. Uh, Next slide. And so what we've been doing is um, working with Trellis, and Don's going to tell you a little about that. Well, um, as you all know, uh, Trellis has been uh, working with uh, Lighthouse Church here for many, many years and um, we thought it would be great if we could continue that vision of trellises in Costa Rica, which was absolutely wonderful for us to be able to do that. So what happened was Eric and Ian Stevenson, uh, who's in the audience here, and uh, we started talking, and it got very exciting, and before we knew it, um, we had a lot of things that started happening in Costa Rica. Uh, and most importantly is, is, is the prayer. And we started talking to the local churches there, and, um, and, and it just absolutely started snowballing from there. Okay, next slide. So part of Trellis's vision, as you guys probably remember, is bringing churches together, but also nonprofit organizations and 
um, and the whole community to kind of with the idea that we're better together. Um, so we're going to be doing a, a serve day just like they do here. Um, you guys, a lot of you have been part of that. That's all plan, being planned for February. We're going to be doing a worship night. We were not able to up until now, but Costa Rica just announced that they're allowing concerts. So um, that is really cool. And a backpack giveaway for school supplies because for some of these people, just a couple of dollars is not even something that they have. Um, that goes to food, and so it's hard for them to do school supplies. Um, next slide. And um, English classes, um, teaching how to have a business using cooking um, and sewing. And, um, and then we're working with some of the nonprofits there. One of them is called SOMAS and, um, and the local food bank. Next slide. So one of the things, talk about out of your comfort zone, we felt like there was a real need for teaching English there. Um, a person in Costa Rica that speaks English can make more money than somebody who has a four-year college degree. And we're in a tourist town, so hotels, restaurants have a lot of job opportunities, and there's not a lot of job opportunities otherwise. So we kind of put, put it out there, we're going to have free English classes. We didn't know even if anyone would sign up, and it catapulted, and we have, we've had, we have three classes now, 45 students, and I ended up being a teacher, and that's what I'm talking about, comfort zone. I've never been a teacher ever in my life, and so, but we needed teachers, so it's been really fun, and probably the best part is developing relationships, and w through the teaching of English, we've met all kinds of families that have needs, and families that we've gotten to know. Next slide. Uh, these are just some pictures related to the cooking as business classes. We have a kitchen, which is perfect for um, learning cooking. Next step. Next slide. And again, doing things with the women in the community. They're the ones who a lot of times are the breadwinners that are taking care of their families. Next slide. And um, you want to say anything? Yeah, prayer. Um, <coughs> with the English classes, um, on, on the left over there, you can see um, the group of people standing in the classroom. And we always, before we start class, we put a verse up on the board, and then we pray with the class. And, um, the next, and on the other side, that's a group of us in a big circle um, praying. And each one can get a, a chance to pray, which um, is, is very important. Okay, next slide. And then I mentioned relationships. These are just some of the kids and families that we become close to, like close enough where they're texting me every day. And, and this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the English classes. Um, next slide. Um, I was able to go to a women's retreat with women that are involved in ministry. Some of them work in the slums. They work with the gangs. Um, and some of them are the pastor's wives, which was a great connection because we're trying to make um, inroads with the churches in our community. Uh, next slide. And uh, this is one of our first Serve Day projects we've already um, decided to do. Um, anybody who was on our mission trip last time met this young woman that had a baby and she is in a family with five girls, and the mom's taking care of them, and there's no dad, and they, they live in extreme poverty. We were at their house about a week ago, and it's really sad. Dirt floors and the roof's falling apart. Um, 
And so one of our first projects is going to be to work on, on their house. Uh, next slide. Yeah, this one here, um, it's a group of us here, and with Anna, this, all these kids you see here are all Anna's kids, and four of the kids out of this group here uh, were adopted because their mom was a drug and alcohol abuse and just wasn't in their lives at all. So Anna stepped in and took over the kids. Unfortunately, Anna's husband now is really having an issue with drug and alcohol, so he's not part of the family anymore. So she's alone with all these kids, and so we're trying to help them as much as possible. Jill and I take like sheets and bedding and clothing and food and that type of thing, just to kind of keep their spirits up. All right, next slide. Uh, this is a carnival. We're very good at doing carnivals. We have a carnival in the box, and we put this on at, um, in the community for the kids. Okay, next slide. And these are just some of the before-afters. Um, the before of a house that we worked on in the last year and the after for a mom with two kids. Next slide. Um, same thing. This is the inside of their house, before and after for their eating area. Next slide. Um, this was another house. The one, the white is before, and it's for a, a guy who um, needed help. Um, and the greenhouse, we won't take credit for the painting. Another church came and did that, but we did a lot of construction and added the bathroom and walls. Okay, next slide. And finally, um, just to kind of explain, even though we're part of Lighthouse, um, we're, and we're working with Trellis, and because Trellis is not, has never done anything international before, um, they set us up with um, a, a nonprofit called New Horizons Foundation. And so last time I was here, Eric's like, well, how do people donate? And I didn't even think of that. So if, <laughs> if anybody would like to support us, you go on this website and search for Amor Costa Rica, which is what we're calling ourselves, kind of like Love Costa Mesa. And, um, and then they do all of the proper stuff with the tax exemption and make sure that we follow with the P's and Q's, so, all right. I love it. Uh, stay up here with me, because a couple of things. First off, can we just, I mean, I am just so unbelievably grateful for the ways that Don, God is using Don and Jill down there. And I don't, it's really easy to focus on the, the before and after uh, of houses and people. But here's the thing that I get most excited about when I think about what God has called you to down there. And that is the recognition that he will do immeasurably more as you are bringing churches together. He will do more through those relationships that you guys are cultivating than you could ever do alone. And I think one of the things I've loved watching is over the last year how you guys and your focus has really shifted from what are the projects we can do ourselves to help bless people, which is wonderful, to how can we begin to cultivate relationships? And one of the, the things I love that you guys did was just this recognition, what do we have? What's in our hands? We have English. And we can offer that to people and to see the responses that are coming. And, and I know that one of the things you've really had to, to work on is we're not just a part of a church. We are a part of the church in Costa Rica, and we want to be together helping unify the church. And it is 
evidence that God is beginning to really, I mean, I'm so excited for that. Because we, Ian and I, can attest to the ways we've seen that same thing happening in Costa Mesa. When, when church communities stop trying to compete with one another and instead begin to look at one another as part of the same family with Jesus as our head and, and he being the one who leads the charge, oh my goodness, so much more is done. So I am grateful for you guys answering the call. And if you're interested in supporting them, I would absolutely encourage it because they are doing a ton. God is using them to do immeasurably more than they could ever have possibly thought of doing down there. And so I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful you're here because we have something else I want to do today that you can help me with. Because I know that a lot of you know Don and Jill as the, uh, as the missionaries to Lighthouse and helping us be outward focused as a church. And one of the hard parts that they've had to do is in order to fully embrace Uvita and Costa Rica as where God is calling them to, they've had to release many of the responsibilities of helping us as a church be more outward focused. And so today I get to introduce you to the person that has said, I, am, I want to come on and I want to help our church continue to be outward focused, which is the heart that you two have really worked into the fabric of our church. I'm grateful for the fingerprints you have left here. So I'm going to invite Bill Nelson. We call him Billy D. Nelson. Where are you? There you are. Come on up here. I know. I'm just going to keep doing I have others. I can use a different. Bill, Bill is one of those guys that knows this city so well because he has been invested in this city. He runs a, a nonprofit called, um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on it right now? Fresh Beginnings. Uh, seriously. That, that bodes really well for our message this yeah, morning, does, doesn't well, it? Doesn't it? Yeah, so he runs a ministry called Fresh Beginnings who has been providing meals and, and, and care for veterans and other hurting people in our city and beyond for years. But specifically, he's been working directly with our city to care for the homeless in the, the, the bridge shelter. But as God has invited him out of that, mm -hmm. he, God has really broken his heart for this church and particularly for the ways in which we begin to serve beyond the walls of this place, but also even within the walls of the place, be caring for one another and caring for those in our community. And so what we want to do first, before I let you share some of the ways that we can get involved, is we want to commission you to this. And there's no better people to commission you to this than Don and Jill, since they are basically handing it off to you. So oh, okay. would you come right here? I'm going to invite you guys as our church family. Just extend a hand to this man. And if you guys would with, pray. With their permission, if it's okay. They may not want me to do this. That's <laughs> yeah, good luck on that one. Okay. Would you go ahead and pray yeah. over Bill? You want me to? All right. Uh, Lord Jesus, you have such a plan. And when we hear that Bill is the person that is going to be doing this, we just know that this is perfect your perfect your perfect plan because he's the right guy he's been anointed already and he loves his community and has given of himself poured himself out um, for this community and to show your love to the people here and to the homeless and his burden for them and his knowledge about how to deal with the 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 underserved and needy people of the of Costa Mesa. So thank you, Lord, for Bill Nelson and for fresh beginnings and and that he can have a fresh beginning here at, with this church in this position. And we know that he and together with this church will do immeasurably more than 
we could ever ask or think with your hand in it. And we pray, Lord, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So, so just to clarify what his job is, and these two have had to learn because these two are servant, they have servant's hearts. And so they have poured themselves into people, into projects. But one of the things I know that you've had to learn is that you cannot do the work yourself. Your primary role is to help create space for others to step in and join you. And when we work together, far more is done. So Bill is one of those guys who probably could do a, quite a bit of stuff on his own, but that is not his role here. His role, if, if you want to think of like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors, right? Mm. There are so many different ways that you can serve in this community and in our community at large. Bill's job is to be the guy behind the counter with the pink spoons. And when you walk in and go, I really want to get involved, but I don't know how. Bill's job is to go, I got an idea, take a scoop and hand you that pink spoon and say, try this. His job is to give you a taste of how God could use you because here's what we are convinced of. Just because somebody has the title of pastor does not mean that they're the only ones who shepherd and minister. You are all shepherds. You are all ministers in your own right. God has called you to be a minister of the gospel to the community of Christ, but beyond the community of Christ. And so his job is to help you, the ministers, do what you were called to do. His job is to discern the opportunities and begin to help us figure out how we can get plugged in. And so today, Bill, I would love for you to share a couple of the ways that people could serve. I know that there's a lot, and we'll, in, the, in the coming weeks, we'll have you share others. But would you just share with us briefly ways that we can get involved, and we will sure. get out of your way. Just, just a couple, and thank you, Donna and Jill, um, for doing that. Yes. They're amazing. Just a couple of things going on real quick. Because of what's going on, we're beginning to open up. Um, the growth that's happening in our church, and thank you all for allowing me to do this. I was hoping somebody was going to stand up and say I object, but none of you are my friends now for not doing that. So, a couple of ways real quick. One of the ways we're growing a lot is in our families. Um, Sherry, across the street, really needs your help. If you've got one Sunday a month where you can really invest into our kids, please let us know quickly. That is an area that we really need some serious help. It's growing over there quickly. We need some helpers over there. I've got my friends Gary and Kathy. Would you stand up real quick and wave to everybody? They're going to be in the back right after service, and they've got some sign-up sheets, and they're going to be part of my outreach team. And I've got a couple more spaces in the outreach team. If you're willing to be a part of the team and join with me in this effort over the next couple of months, we're going to be putting together a team that's going to be able to be in touch with you. We've got the right... We're going to concentrate right now on the children's ministry. That's where the biggest need is right now. We're going to be doing some others later on. But we would love to have some helpers for the kids. And we're also going to be working on getting some help for the greeters ministries. Those are the two areas we're going to start with right now. And that would be great if you could help us. If you want to talk some more about some others, we're going to be having a couple, maybe a luncheon later on in a few weeks um, after church to get together with some more. But if you're, if you're... I'm not going to give out s'mores. I'm just saying, if we're going to be getting together to let you know s'more, if you are interested in any of the other ministries, 
get with Gary and Kathy, put your name on the list and say, hey, I do want to help with some other things, you know, if you're going to teach a uh, homiletics class or something like that, and try to help our pastor with teaching Bible series and things like that. You know, if Randy's going to start cooking uh, gourmet meals and things like that, he needs to let us know. So... We've got a lot of opportunities for everybody. If there's something that the Lord has put on your heart to serve, please let us know as soon as possible. Sir, I want to turn this over to you and bring the word to us. I am day. sorry for asking you to go quickly because I know that you've... But I've I got so lots great. more. There I, is, I know. I, yeah. should, I should just give you a Sunday, buddy. Yeah. We'll do that soon. All right. Um, but, but I want you to hear Bill's heart. We don't want you to simply sit in a seat on a Sunday and say, that is what it means to be part of a church. We are called to be the kind of people who get up out of our seats and say, God, here I am, help yourself to me, just like Don and Jill did. And sometimes you watch as God does way more than you could ever anticipate. And I'm so grateful for Bill and Kathy and the ways that they're stepping into this. I'm so grateful that they are willing to help us to begin to discern how can we begin to give ourselves away. And I know it may feel strange for the outreach guy to say the first place that we need to invest ourselves is into our kids, but I can tell you, as a parent of two children who have been impacted by this season that we've been walking through, there is no greater area of an investment. And we are going to do a lot of things beyond the walls of this place, but we need to first care for the number one thing that God has entrusted to us, and that's our kids. And so I would ask you to prayerfully consider, would you be willing to give a Sunday a month to invest in those kids? And if so, you know, you guys are going to be in the back and you can talk about that. Or with that, I want to dive in this morning uh, because I have, <laughs> I will tell you, that where we're headed this morning is very different from where I thought we were headed when I woke up on Monday morning. When I woke up on Monday morning, it was going to be Josh standing up here, sharing with you out of John chapter 18. Uh, he will be doing that next week. But what I woke up to on Monday morning was this overwhelming sense that I, in breaking a light bulb last Sunday, and baptizing many of you in shards of glass, um, may have inadvertently overshadowed the heart of the message that I was trying to, and I'm so glad that you guys brought ponchos. <laughs> this is a splash zone, so we, we and, and they named last week's sermon the Gallagher sermon. It was a one-off, so if you've come this week expecting other things to be explosively shot into the crowd, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry to let you down. Your pastor learned something about uh, large glass uh, bulbs under heat uh, that, that they are far more explosive than he anticipated. And I'm sorry, by the way, I'm, I'm sorry if, if it scared you or, or potentially endangered you, um, but I will say this, the heart of that, the heart of the illustration, which I truly hope was not overshadowed, is this. We, like a light bulb, the community of Christ, not just Lighthouse, but every single other iteration of the church in our city and beyond, we are called together to radiate the light of Jesus into this world. And one of the things that we saw through Jesus' prayer in John 17 is that one of the primary ways that we radiate light in a world that is becoming increasingly darkened by discouragement and pain is through our unity. Can we put, throw John 17, 23 up on the screen for a moment? 
This was the crux of where we dived in last week. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed for us. He prayed, may they, remember he's talking about us, may they be brought to complete unity in order to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And the point that Jesus was getting at, and again, this is a prayer, so we're kind of listening in on his prayer to the Father, but his prayer is that through our unity, we would radiate light into the darkness, that people would see the way we love one another. And they would go, there's just something different about them and the way that they approach life. There's, I want to be part of that family. You ever seen a family where you're like, I want to be part of them. I wish, that's the way that we are called to live. And it, through our, I mean, if you see a really dysfunctional family where the kids are screaming at one another and the parents are screaming at the kids, most people aren't, I want to be part of that family. Well, imagine if that's happening to us. Just imagine, hypothetically, if we started yelling at one another or we started poking fun at one another's theological perspectives, or, or we started celebrating when other church communities stumbled. Imagine. Sadly, it's, it's not something that some of us have to imagine because we see it happening. Um, and, and that prayer there is absolutely reflective of Jesus' heart because over and over again, through John's gospel and all of the gospels, Jesus continues to press home this, this need for those who call themselves his disciples to live out of a posture of love towards other people, even hard people. And so he said, for instance, in John chapter 14, or in chapter 13, he said, the world will know that you are my disciples. How? By the way you love one another. Guys, I've modeled this for you. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking Jesus talking to his disciples. Guys, I've modeled how to love one another. I've just washed your feet. I know it freaked some of you out. But in the same way that I have loved you, in the same way I'm about to love you, he was talking about the cross, I want you to love one another because that's how the world will know you're my disciples, by the way you love. So you and I, not just individually, we tend to think as individuals in America, but you and I collectively together were called to radiate the light of the hope that we found in Jesus Christ and to reflect his values into this world. And one of the primary ways we do it is through our unity. And this is becoming increasingly, increasingly important in a day and an age where it feels like our society is fracturing. And let me just say this right from the outset. I know that many of you are weary of talking about the fault lines in our society. I know that many of you are just tired of hearing about COVID, of hearing about face masks, of hearing about political perspectives, of hearing about vaccines. Can we just stop it and watch sports? Can we just stop it and talk about Jesus? I get it. I'm weary. And yet, if there's one thing that I woke up on Monday morning feeling totally burdened in, it's that last week I identified the problem, but I did not provide a solution. And scripture is clear that there is a solution to how we are to progress and, and cultivate unity in the midst of a society that is fracturing around us. But before we get there, I think it's important for us to step back for a moment and consider where we find ourselves, because this is one of the things that has really kind of shocked me 
In the same way that when I hit the bulb, I totally, by the way, thought it was just going to like the glass would break and it would just flop over and I'd hold up the bulb. But unfortunately, I didn't even have a bulb left. D was picking shards of glass out of his forehead um, after that. And I have still been, I've been finding little shards of glass uh, throughout the week. It's been kind of a, a fun little, it's almost like my kids are, are monkeys looking for the, the fleas in there, you know, through the fur. Golly, that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> in the same way that the, the size of the explosion was surprising to me and to, to many of you, uh, what has surprised me greatly is the, the explosion and the way that our society has responded over these last two years, because it's so markedly different from how our society responded 20 years ago on 9-11 and in its aftermath. I mean, just think for a moment, consider for a moment how different our responses were. And I understand there's a lot of nuance here. and We could spend days discussing how they're different. But after 9-11, we were all reeling. Our, 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 we, we had been attacked. We felt like our entire world was off its axis. And in response, we came together as a society, even our politicians, which is shocking. And most importantly, what we saw is people flocking to church. Because when everything in your world is shaken... You start looking for things that you can hang your, your life on that cannot be shaken. And they start, people started looking for that in Christ. We did so together. 20 years later, we see a very different response. The moment that we are impacted by something that seems out of our control, that, that, that is scary, and our world and our safety is yet again shaken, we start pointing fingers. We start casting blame. We start identifying big you know, fault lines in our society and start picking sides and moving further and further apart and yelling at the people on the other side. That's what I've experienced. I have experienced people who are genuinely hurting and angry, and underneath that anger is fear. And so, as a pastor, I just want you to know up front here, we're going to get to a solution in a moment, but as a pastor, my primary job, at least on Sunday mornings, is to open God's Word to you and to help us understand how God's Word there and then speaks to us here and now. And I am always reminding us that context is key. We cannot possibly understand what a scripture means if we've simply ripped it out of its context and hold it up and say, what does this mean to me today? The first thing we always need to do is ground it in the context of what did it mean to them there and then so that we don't twist it to support anything that we think. Context is key. And if it's true there and then, Context is also incredibly important for us here and now. And so while we normally focus on the context there and then, today I want to take just a few minutes to step back and consider our own context. The context that has shaped the way that we have been looking at our world, shaped the way that we have understood our place in it, and shaped the way that we have been looking at the circumstances that have happened that are in large part outside of our control, as well as the way we've responded with the things that are, are within our control. So if you will bear with me for maybe 
five minutes, I want to I want to paint the picture of the context that we're within so that we can begin to understand how now shall we live. You with me? Even if you weren't, I was going to keep going, so I'm glad that many of you are nodding. I want to start with this. Human beings are narrative-driven people. And what I mean by that is we begin to make sense of our world through stories, both the stories that we are told as well as the stories that we share about our experiences. So it's not just that we experience something, it's how we articulate what we experience that really begins to shape our narrative or, our, or the way that we view the world, which is what my teachers in, in college called a worldview, okay? So our worldview is shaped by the stories that both are shared to us as well as the ones how we explain what we experience. And that's why much of the Bible, by the way, is written in narrative form, is story. And that's not to say that it's false, that it's made up. Simply, the Bible tells the story of God's interaction with humanity because a story does so much more than just a list of rules does. A list of rules might articulate a thought, but it can never elicit emotion. A story, on the other hand, gives space for thoughts and ideas as well as feelings and emotions. We can find ourselves in it and we can learn so much more about who God is by, by looking at the stories of the way he's interacted with his image bearers. And in the same way, we make sense of our world through the stories that we share. But over the last 20 years, the way in which we go about shaping our narrative or the way in which our narrative is being formed has changed radically. Because it used to be. There's a couple of areas in particular I'm going to zero in. And, and, and remember, in the time that I have, this is an incredibly nuanced conversation that I'm going to try to distill down to just a couple of points we're going to look at today. And I would love, if you have other thoughts, I'd love to talk with you afterwards or at another point. But first area that we've seen a radical change in over the last 20 years is in the, in the way in which our media, the part that our media plays in shaping the narratives. Because it used to be, back in the days of Walter Cronkite and other uh, you know, more objective newscasters, they would report what happened. And then we, the people who are watching, would take that information and we would begin to grapple with, okay, well, what does that mean for me? And we would, we would come to some conclusions, conclusions, perhaps, but then we would go and we would process it with coworkers around the uh, water cooler. Thank you. It's going to be one of those days, Gary. I'm just saying. Or, or, or we would sit around the dining, dining room table and have a, a conversation. About, or we would have a conversation with neighbors at the park when, we're, when our dogs are running around and we're just processing life. And in the process of that... In the process of processing with others, some of the sharper edges of our more extreme conclusions get worn down as we get challenged by people who see it slightly differently. And in the process, we begin to form our understanding, our narrative, or our worldview of what's happening in the world and our place in it. But over the last 20 years, our newscasters have... Is, particularly as they began to realize that people don't need to wait until the morning to get their news, or people aren't going to wait until the newspaper is delivered on their doorstep to find out what's going on. They can find out in a heartbeat. They've needed to, to, to differentiate themselves. And so our newscasters have gone 
less about simply reporting the news to trying to explain to us what the news means. And in a way, they have begun to step into the role of helping shape the narrative. And this means, rather than taking all the facts and simply saying, here's what happened, you figure out what, how you should feel about it, they start with, here's how you should feel about this, and here are the facts that support that narrative. And guys, this happens on both sides of any conversation. So that's happening. And over the last 20 years, that has been going on. Concurrently, at the same time, you've got the rise of social media, and social media's influence on our culture has changed radically in the last 20 years. Because in its infancy, back with like the MySpace and other things like that, it was more of just having a little place that you could kind of call your own and, and maybe send some pictures of your pets or what you're eating or what you're, where you're going. And now, social media has become so central in our lives for many of us, not for all of us, but for many of us, social media has become, it has replaced the water cooler and replaced the dining room table as the place where we go to, A, to find out what's going on in our world, and B, to process it. And as many of us begin to look at the, the, the voices on television and the voices in newsprint and say, you know, I'm not sure that I can fully trust that they're being forthright with me, as we begin to question the truthfulness of what we're being told or resist wanting them to shape our worldview and our narrative, we start looking for alternative sources of information. And we look to social media, many of us, look to social media to begin shaping our understanding of what's going on in the world. But this raises an, a pretty big problem. You see, unlike having a central figure like a Walter Cronkite who just tells us what's going on and we're all working off of the same notes. On social media, there's this thing that works in the background called an algorithm. And for those of you who have watched The Social, Network, uh, the Social Dilemma on Netflix, which I, can, I highly recommend that all of you watch, you'll understand a little bit of maybe what I'm about to say. The algorithm's job is to keep your eyes on whatever app you're looking at, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or Twitter. Um, you name the app, YouTube, you name the app, it's got an algorithm working behind the scenes trying to keep your eyes on it for as long as possible. And in order to do that, it learns what you like and starts feeding you more of it. So, you put a thumbs up on a picture of a puppy, guess what you're gonna start seeing in your feed over and over and over again? Pictures of puppies. If you comment on somebody's article or somebody's thoughts or somebody's post, guess what you're gonna start seeing more and more of? That person's posts as well as other posts like it. And so what ends up happening is that we through the enablement of an algorithm that we're not even aware is working in the background, begin to shape our own pipeline of information. We begin to cultivate our own echo chamber that begins to, to push us further and further towards a more extreme perspective on any given topic. And in the process, we are surrounded by people who 
are more and more increasingly confirming what we already are thinking. And we get that confirmation bias if we start hearing voices that are saying the same things over and over. And then we wake up one day, and we're over here on any given topic, and we look at people who have a, a very different perspective. We go, how on earth did you, could you possibly arrive at that conclusion? Because we have been fed a steady diet of one perspective, whereas they've been fed a steady diet of a different perspective. And in the process, the middle ground, the places like the water coolers and the parks where we process it, and, and even the dining room table, those get lost. And the people that are most influencing us are people who already think like we do. And what I've watched happen over the last several years in particular is that family members who live in the same home, who love one another, can no longer even have a, a, a conversation with one another because they disagree so vehemently that they are downright angry that the other person would come to that conclusion. Or neighbors who truly have cared about one another, who start looking at the other person on that particular topic like they're an idiot and, and, and that they have, n like, how on earth, you have no brain. I'm watching. I see posts of people that are so utterly contemptuous. And these are posts of people who are Christ followers, who are so utterly contemptuous of other people who see things differently online because they could not possibly fathom how somebody could come to that conclusion when they have arrived at this conclusion. Guys, if you don't believe that, there is an, that an algorithm is shaping your perceptions, and here's, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a challenge. Find somebody that you care about that has a differing perspective on the world than you and ask them if you can trade social media feeds for a second, that you can look on their phone or on their computer and just see what they see and let them see what you see, and just see if what you get fed is the same thing that they're getting fed. I can tell you in advance, it won't be. And so here's what we find is happening in our culture. I'm, about, I'm gonna wrap up the sociological, let's try to understand our context, and then we're gonna move to that, okay, now what do we do in light of this in just a moment? Here's the point. We live in a culture where what made America such a wonderful, creative place to be was that there was a rich middle ground of place where we were challenging one another's and perspectives, and we, 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 we were dreamers. And rather than saying, we can't do that, we said, how can we do that? And we brought the greatest minds together to kind of like percolate new ideas. And instead, what has happened over this last several years in particular is that we have become increasingly polarized and we have begun to dig trenches in the ground where we basically say, this is where we're going to land. We are using the most state-of-the-art communication technology in the world, but we have reverted back to trench warfare. Where you have, like, just like in World War I, where you got trenches on this side and trenches on this side, and in the middle is no man's land. And we are being told you have to choose one of two sides because you can't reside in the middle. If you reside in the middle, you're going to get shot at from both sides. So pick one of two sides. And let's just look at some of the things that we are currently being told we have to make a choice between. Can we throw these up on the board? Either trust the science implicitly 
or reject it wholesale, as if there is no middle ground in this. Or, either view the COVID virus as an overblown power grab, or completely order your life around it. Or, either view the vaccine as our ticket to freedom or as an attack on our freedom. Or, either view the person sitting in the Oval Office as a savior or a traitor to America. Do you guys realize how polarizing these perspectives are? How black or white it is when more often than not, the truth is somewhere in the middle, and yet what we have done is we've been allowed, we have allowed ourselves to be cajoled into picking one of two sides. And I would love to say that this is just happening in our society at large, but guys, I've watched it happen in the church as well. I have watched it happen. I talk to a lot of pastors. One of the true joys I have as a pastor in Costa Mesa, where we have something like Trellis and Love Costa Mesa, is that we as pastors are constantly getting together and talking with one another. I'm going to have a breakfast with them on Thursday morning. And the thing I'm hearing is that what I'm describing to you, they are experiencing in their churches. And I'm experiencing it here. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had over the last month or two with people that used to go to Lighthouse but no longer feel safe there because of how somebody spoke to them about you fill in the blank on any one of these uh, fault line kind of topics. A lot of them right now have to do with the vaccine. And I want to remind you that there are people in this room who think very differently than you do on that topic, however you think about it. And as I said last week, and I will remind you again, we are not sitting in here and we are not family because we agree on everything. In fact, many of us agree on very little. But there's one thing and one thing only that we do agree upon. And that is Jesus Christ. And that Jesus is Lord. That is the one and only thing that it requires for us to be a, to be a family. Is that Jesus is Lord. And so the question that I have for us this morning, as we see our society fracturing around us, and as we feel so, some of us, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but some of us feel so angry about the state of the world in which we live. Some of us feel so angry at certain leaders who are making decisions that affect us, and we don't feel like we have a say in it, or we are so angry at the people who voted for those individuals, or we are so angry that it seems like some people are turning a blind eye. We're so angry about so many things. And again, I will remind you that underneath our anger is fear. Underneath our anger is fear. Maybe it's fear that our, our, our lives are in danger. Well, yeah, duh, we're all gonna, you know, until Jesus returns, we're all gonna die, but, but some of us feel that fear more sharply right now because we are fed a steady diet of a ticker on, on the news every night that tells us how many people have gotten sick and how many people are hospitalized and how many people have died. And we're fed a steady diet of fear 
because that keeps us, our eyes glued. And I will remind you that if you were fed a steady diet of how many people got in a car accident that day and how many people died in a car-related accident, we would look at driving very differently than we do, okay? Fear is something that has been cultivated. So either we're afraid there or we are afraid that our country is going to hell in a handbasket and that the freedoms that have been the foundation of our unity are being shredded. And we're more afraid about that than we are about the virus. But either way, we are afraid. And so how do we react? How do we respond in the midst of our fear? Well, part of it might be that we, we begin to vilify people who th see things differently. That's part of it as we begin to point fingers and saying this person is to blame or that person to blame or this perspective is to blame. And then secondly, within our own spheres of influence, we hunker down in our, uh, you know, use, using the metaphor of, of like World War I, we hunker down in our trench that we have chosen in our particular area as we look across no man's land and we see people that we love, our family members, our kids, our parents, our friends who aren't in this trench with us and we say, hey, get over here, quick! Don't you realize you're in danger? And we start lobbing things like articles and, and YouTube videos that are going to convince them to get in the trench with us. Come on! And I don't know about you, but I have found that that doesn't typically work. But when it doesn't work, when they don't see it the way we do, when they don't automatically go, holy crud, I can't believe I didn't see this before. Please, let me, get, can, can I stand next to you? We get mad at them. We get frustrated at them. We go, what an idiot that you can't see this. The same thing that is happening in our society, the amount of arrogance that we see. Because we, we, we basically conclude that anybody who disagrees with us is categorically wrong and we're categorically right. And that is an unbelievably arrogant perspective to have. When you go through life thinking that if you see something differently than another person does, that you are automatically right and they are automatically wrong, that is an arrogant perspective. And guys, I know that there's a tremendous amount of arrogance out there. It's flying around. It is lavished on us in the news cycle. It is lavished upon us in the negative sense from politicians. It is slopped on us on social media. Arrogance abounds but not so with us because arrogance and contempt are very unbefitting for the people of God. So now I ask the question again, now how shall we live in an environment, in a day and an age that is this fractious? How the heck do we proceed forward so that we're not part of the problem, but part of a solution? Turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Yes, we are jumping out of John for this week. I want to let you know that um, division and disagreement is nothing new for the community of Christ. It's been, as long as the church has existed, sharp disagreement has existed. The one that Paul in, this, in his letter to the Romans is going to address is very different from what we're facing on its surface, but really underneath it, it's very similar. For them, the question wasn't whether or not to get a vaccine. For them, the question was whether or not to eat meat 
that was sold in the marketplace because chances were that meat was first used in a pagan ceremony to a pagan idol. And so there were some Christ followers who said to eat meat that was used in a pagan worship ceremony is, is basically like worshiping a, a false god. We're not going to do it. So we can't eat any of the meat because we don't know which one is pure and which one isn't. And other Christ followers are like, well, I didn't participate in that. I don't worship that God. It's meat. Get over it. I, I, I need a hamburger. Come on. And so there was this disagreement going on in the church. It was just one of many disagreements. But this was a friction point within the church, and people were beginning to respond very similar. You should read some of their text messages and posts. They were ugly to one another. It was more analog. They were like writing on papyrus and passing to one another. I'm just playing. But the early church in Rome was just as fractious as we are. And Paul writes in part in his letter to address the friction that he's seeing within the body of Christ, within the church. And I want you to know that although he has a perspective on one of those sides, he does not take a side. Instead, he chooses to stand in the middle in no man's land between these two trenches between the guns of all of the Christ followers aiming them at one another, he stands in the middle and he calls all of them to consider the ways that they've been looking at one another, particularly at those who disagree with them. So let's go ahead and begin reading in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Meat sacrifice to idols, he would consider a disputable matter. Whether or not to get a vaccine disputable matter. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of you should be fully convinced in their own mind, and whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so for the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, here's his, here's his wrapping up the point he's been making so far. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another and instead make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. He will go on to make the same point several times. He'll also go on to say, do not put a stumbling block in front of your brother or sister. Don't use your freedoms to cause somebody else to stumble. And this is one that we point to with people who struggle with alcoholism. And we're like, well, I don't struggle with alcoholism, so I can have a beer. It's like, yes, but don't use your freedom in Christ to cause another to stumble. The point that Paul is making to them is, guys, you all think that because you think a certain way, before, because you are convicted of a certain way, that that's the right way, and that's an arrogant perspective. If you are convinced in your heart that the Lord is saying, do this or do not do this, then you must be obedient in the Lord to the Lord. But just because you are convicted one way or the other does not mean that you have the sole right answer and everybody else who disagrees with you even slightly is wrong. That is arrogance. And instead, you need to love people for where they're at. And you need to recognize that in the same way that they are not your Lord, you have a Lord, you must answer to him, we will all have to give an answer to him, you are also not their Lord. And you don't get to tell them how they are to live. They will have to give an answer to Jesus. So may we not continue to go through life with this arrogant, contemptuous attitude that we are categorically right and everybody else that disagrees with us is wrong. May we not be the kind of people who allow ourselves to get cajoled into one of these extreme polarized positions and see, this is the only right way to be. And anybody who disagrees with me is wrong. And I need to either constantly pepper them with reasons why they need to move over and see things from my perspective. And ultimately, if they don't, I need to shame them or, 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 or write them off. That's not the way being a Christ follower. That is not who we are called to be. We are not called as Christ followers to inhabit the polarized positions and say this is the right position. We are called as Christ followers to willingly get out of our trenches, out of our foxholes, and move into the middle. And yes, be fully, prayerfully convinced in our own heart, our position, and then submit to that. And so, if you feel compelled to get the vaccine, because this is either the best thing for you or it is the most loving thing you can do, and this is what the whole Lord has placed on your heart, then do it. To not do it would be sinful because you know what he's calling you to do. But if you feel in your heart that the Lord is saying no, then to go and get it would be sinful regardless of what has told you to do. And we as Christ followers cannot cross our arms and shame other people because they disagree with us. We must give an answer to our Lord. Do you see how this begins to play out in our real life? How relevant this really is for us? 
I'm getting nothing from you. I'm going to take that as a good sign. So we are called to be people who in our own convictions, we submit to the Lord and we, we arrive at them in prayer and we grapple through hard stuff. But in our posture towards other people who see things differently, we are called to be people who inhabit the middle ground, which in our society right now has become a no man's land. We are called to be the kind of people who move into the middle and rather than looking at people on the other side as idiots, which let's be honest, there's a lot of people who have concluded that anybody who sees it that way is an idiot and they are not deserving of respect. They are not really fully human. They're either racist or they're bigoted or they're, they're, just, they're just plain brainless and they're brainwashed. Guys, that's how a lot of people are acting and I will tell you it is hard when people treat you that way not to react and treat them the same way. But we're called to turn the other cheek. We're not called to go eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It's hard when people act arrogantly not to react and judge them and write them off, which is in itself pretty contemptuous and arrogant. It's hard when people attack you on social media because of something you have said when, when people that you consider friends or even family members pile on, it is hard not to put up your defenses and go full bore attack on them, but not so with us, because that is unbefitting of the family of God, and you are children of God who are called to live as peacemakers in a world that is fracturing all around us. In fact... Jesus said this in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. This is what we are called to be in this day and age, in every season of life. We are called to be peacemakers, not simply people who try to appease. I don't want you to hear it that way. That's not what I'm saying. We're not just appeasers. We're not just whatever your truth is, that's your truth. We're the kind of people who say, I am firmly convinced of my perspective, but it is not my place to sit in judgment upon you, and I'm going to love you where you are at, and I will walk with you and do life with you, and I will treat you with respect even if I don't have it reciprocated. Now, we might have some boundaries. We might say, you know, I don't want to hear that person attack me every time, but at the end of the day, we cannot stoop to the same level. We are called to be the kind of people who can stand in the middle of every messy friction point of every no man's land and say, I can love the people there and I can love the people there. And I might identify with one side more than the other, but I can love them both because Christ loved some really different people, including me. And let me just close by giving you a picture of what can happen if and when we are willing to stand in the middle. So, as you can see from the picture on the screen here, World War I, December 24th, 1914, Western Front, that's where this picture was taken. You had this no man's land that was just this churned up area of mud and barbed wire and, and dead bodies. 
And on either side of no man's land, you had trenches just like this, full of either Germans with their guns aimed at the Allied forces, or or English and French at this point, who had their guns trained on the other side. And day after day after day, they took pot shots at one another. Sometimes they would try to attack, sometimes they would try to lob bombs at the other side all in an effort to dislodge them and take their ground back or capture them or kill them. This was their life, and it had been going on at this point for five months. But it was December 24th, New Year, or Christmas Eve. And so that night, as the sun began to set, uh, the sound of gunshots gave way to the sound of Christmas carols sung in German and French and English. It began on the German side as they began to sing Christmas carols in their language. And the melodies of those Christmas carols began to find its way across no man's land. And then the the, the Allied soldiers, the French and the English, they began to sing Christmas carols in their language. And that happened all throughout the night. Bright and early the next morning, just as the sun began to rise, some German soldiers chose to do something rather foolish from a worldly perspective, rather brave. They put their guns down. They got up out of their foxhole, out of their trench, and they began to make their way across no man's land with their hands up. One of them actually was holding a, a, a Christmas tree that they'd cut down. Like, kind of like, and they're singing in English and in French, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, don't shoot, Merry Christmas. And they began to move across no man's land. And now the English and the French soldiers on the Allied side saw this, and they at first thought this was a ploy, some sort of way to get them to let their guard down and an attack would come. But as they saw these soldiers making their way through no man's land, saw that they were unarmed, a few English and French soldiers took the very courageous step to put their guns down, to get up out of their trench and begin to make their way across no man's land, and they met in the middle, and they shook hands. They, they tried to communicate best they could. They even exchanged gifts, and they, they exchanged what they had. They had cigarettes, and they had some of the treats out of their, their rations. They exchanged those with one another. They even played a pickup game of soccer, and nobody got shot. And this became known as the Christmas truce of 1914. It's a beautiful picture of what can happen when a few courageous men and women are willing to put down their weapons and move towards those that they would consider to be their enemies in a posture of peace. Uh, What can happen when a group of people are willing to stop fighting the same old fights over old and new battlegrounds and instead begin to look at the other people not as enemies, but as sons and daughters of God that matter. And this can only happen when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. I think that the only reason that this could have happened in, the, in World War I or in any war is because suddenly for one day they took their eyes off of the war and winning this fight, whatever it was that they were fighting for, and instead they realized, hold on, God, Jesus is bigger than this. And this doesn't honor Christ I can't help but put myself into the the boots 
of those first German soldiers or those first allied soldiers who were courageous enough to put their guns down and be the first to step out of their trenches because they were putting their lives on the line. They were putting their reputations on the line. They were in danger of being ridiculed by people on their side and killed by people on the other side, and yet they were willing to get out of their trenches anyway. And it produced something beautiful that movies and books have been written about. There's an entire statue in Europe uh, near this area commemorating that moment. But guys, you and I find ourselves in a very different but similar world war. And this is a war for the heart and soul of our world, not just for America, for our world, for our society, for what it means to be human beings made in the image of God. And there's a lot of really scared people who are hunkered down. And we're told that you need to choose one side or the other and that you need to view the other people on the other side as the enemy. And if we do that, if we give in to the message that the world is telling us that you need to look at other people as the enemy, then we are not looking at the world through the narrative of Jesus Christ. We are not looking at the world through the worldview of our Father in heaven. We are looking at the world through the worldview of the enemy, of of the Satan, who is trying to get us to tear one another apart. If we start looking at other people as the enemy, as if our enemy is flesh and blood, then we have bought into into the Satan's lies. And if we begin to take pot shots at people who disagree with us, whether it's mocking them behind their back with other people who think similarly to us or ridiculing them openly on social media, then we are actually doing the work of our true enemy in tearing down other image bearers. And we are widening the gulf between us. May it not be so with us. Why? Because we are not called to win every argument. We are called to be peacemakers who point people back to Christ. We are called to radiate light in the darkness. And we cannot do that when we're mocking people just like the rest of the world does. And guys, if we are willing to take the courageous step to get out of our trenches and move towards the middle, then not only will the world be blessed, not only will our sphere of influence be blessed, but we will be blessed. Because as Jesus reminded us, blessed are the peacemakers, for we will be called children of God. May that be who we are. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. We're gonna respond just with a a song of of praise, but I wanna pray a prayer over us. I just want to pray for us. If you bow your heads with me. Father God, I am sorry for the ways that I have gotten caught up in the polarizing arguments. I am sorry for the ways that I have rooted for my rivals to stumble and fall. I am sorry for the ways that I have openly ridiculed people who disagree with me behind their backs or even publicly. 
I'm sorry for the ways that I have bought into and even played into the enemy's attempts to divide us. And I want to lift up this community, not just Lighthouse, but your church that is represented as 55 unique communities here in Costa Mesa alone, but countless others around this world. I lift up your church and I pray that we would begin to bring to the foot of the cross our fear that is the thing that buoys up our anger. And it is the fuel that enables us to begin shooting at other people. We bring our fear to the foot of the cross because we look at this world and we go, it's not how we want it to be. And I know that when you look at the world, you go, it's not how I want it to be. So we invite you, Father God, to help yourself to us and to invite us out of our comfort zones and into the middle grounds, into the no man's land where we can represent your heart. We can represent the hope that we found in you. We can radiate the love towards people who don't seem all that deserving. But then again, neither are we. May we be conduits of that love. And most importantly, we pray, Father God, for those who are dying all around us with no hope. May they find you. And we invite you to show us how we can help in that endeavor. We pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Hey, guys, we're going to go into a brief time of response. If you need prayer, I'm going to ask my, my elder couples to be at the back in case there's anything that we can be praying for you for. But now let's go ahead and just submit our lives, our hopes, as well as our fears to our Lord. And let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to us as we respond to him now.
streets Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus Shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over this morning that name is the only name that we have any hope in the only name and the only Lord that we truly can keep our eyes on and put our hope in every other name and every other power will stumble and fall don't put your eyes on myself or Jeff don't you put your eyes on a politician or a political party don't put your eyes on yourself and on your bank account or on another person and say, that's who my hope is in. Our hope alone is in Christ. But here's the best part of this. And here's the reminder for us this morning. Christ is in us. And so as we go, we don't go as people who have nothing to offer. We go as people who have tasted and seen a hope that is greater than the friction and the fracturing we see all around us. It's greater than the sickness that is affecting Sophie, is one of the daughter of Sherry. They're in the ER right now. And we just lift Sophie up to you, Sophia up to you. 
lift James up to you, who just a couple of days ago was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. We lift up those who are struggling with COVID. We lift up those who are feeling hopeless. Jesus, you alone are our hope. I feel like a fitting way for us to end this morning, as my wife reminded me that um, I have not yet prayed over Don and Jill, but I think that this might be a better way of us doing it as a reminder that there's only one church universally. Jesus is the head of us. We're all taking our marching orders from him. We will all have to give an answer to him. So I'm going to ask somebody who has been contending in our community for decades, buddy Ian. He heads up trellis. He helps us pastors get along and <laughs> treat one another with respect and love. I'm going to ask him to pray over us, the church. So he takes out. What a privilege. Let's see here. Should be. Yeah, go for it. It's a privilege to be here with you guys today and uh, just hearing Eric's message. It's, it's so um, challenging for us to walk it out, isn't it? Like every day, the different people that we're going to see in, in every way. And so let's just stand up and I want to just pray over you that God's going to give you the courage and the strength to take some of what you've heard here today and really walk it out in your context. God, thank you for the fact that Jesus went into no man's land for us. And God, he stood uh, in the middle and he took it all in order to bring us together. And God, you ask us as Christ followers to have that same kind of courage. So God, even as we walk out these doors here today and head into the world where God, we're going to find those trenches dug. God, give us wisdom. Give us courage in how to be in that no man's land, Lord. And I, I thank you for those who are uh, just really taking those steps. Lord, I thank you for um, Don and Jill who are, are taking those kind of steps down in Costa Rica, Lord, trying to pull people together. Um, Lord, we ask for your blessing on them, and we ask, God, also for your strength in us, Lord, to, to have that kind of courage here locally, God, to pull people together. Thank you for um, just the words that we heard today. Thank you for Romans 14, God. Help those words to sink deep into our hearts and show us how to walk it out this week. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Hey, uh, I'm going to ask, would you guys go to the back? So Gary and Kathy are going to be in the back. If you are interested in getting involved in any way, you can talk about stuff going on here. Or even how can I get involved beyond? If you're interested, they're going to just take your, your contact info and we'll follow up with you this week. I also want to let you know that one of the things that is really pertinent on my heart is that we would learn what it looks like to be ministers to our neighborhoods, to the people that God has placed around us. And we are having a gathering of people who have a heart for that same thing tomorrow night. And if you're interested in that particular thing, I'd ask you to come up and let me know, and I will send you all the information, because I would love for you to join me in beginning to think through how can we be the church beyond the walls of this church? Because there are countless men and women that are image bearers of Jesus Christ that drive past here every day that are feeling pretty hopeless. And guys, we're not the hope. Christ is the hope. 
but Christ is in us. So now go and be carriers of that hope in the way you interact with If there's prayer requests, if you, if you have financial gifts you want to give, you can give them in the back. But now go be the church. Have a wonderful week. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadow. Burn like a fire. Fire. Holy fire. Power. Speak Jesus.